I gotta huh. tell you, you're making points with me with you with the shirt with the shirt you got in the background, bro. So yeah, now I've got I've got a couple. I've got I've got a mannequin back from 2003 signed as well. Got quite Is a- that right? See, you're like you're as bad as me. Oh, <laughs> hang on, I lost you there. Welcome to the Backroom Staff Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backroom Staff Podcast. This episode I am delighted to be joined by the one and only Hamilton Tiger Cats Special Teams Coordinator and Sky Sports NFL Pundit, Jeff Rainbold. Hey Jeff. Alright man. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Good. How are yeah. you? Yeah, I'm good, cheers. I-, I assumed that like maybe you'd gone to bed. No, and I tell you what, it's morning here. It's like uh, nine, uh, not quite, not quite ten. How, how's how's the weather in Hawaii? I bet it's better than here in Leeds. Yeah, probably a little bit, but it's yeah. it's it's a, it was cool this morning. Yeah, I mean, it looks better. You're in shades, with, and I'm in a big jumper. So, so yeah. But before we start, <laughs> I, w- I was looking on Wikipedia, and it said that you are three foot four inches tall. Mm-hmm. Is is that true? Yeah. One, I was once, but I'm surpassed three, four. I have no idea how that got there. That's <laughs> it's kind of interesting. There was one that said I was three, three feet four, and there was another one that said I was nine, three years old. So <laughs> I just kind of let that stuff go. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I assumed it was one of those things where it's kind of um, it's been there on the internet for that long now, and you've just gone, yeah, let's let's leave it. I'm not I'm not going to correct that one. That's not about me. So let's start with that you're um you've re-signed back at Hamilton Tiger Cats, if I'm correct, as a special teams coordinator. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what is what is a special teams yep. coordinator? Yeah. Okay, so in American football, NFL, college, at every level, the the special teams are basically the teams that transition the football. So for example, you have you're on offense, you have three downs to get a first down. If you don't make that, then you have to kick the ball away to your opponent or you don't have to, but strategically, normally you kick the ball away to your opponent. Yeah. So it's the team that comes on and handles the kicking aspect. If for example, your defense holds a team and they don't get a first down, then they're going to punt the ball back to you or kick the ball back to you. So then you put on your return team so that you're trying to constantly create field position for your offense or defense it's really the transitional aspect of the game so as a coordinator what is your role within that special teams there like as a coordinator in in american football the way american football is structured the coordinator is the guy that's responsible for all of the aspects of that section of the game so there's three pieces of the game basically if you study football there's offense when you have the football defense when you're trying to defend against someone who has the ball and then special teams, which is really unique because it's both offense and defense at the same time and can go from an offensive play to a defensive play or a defensive play to an offensive play within the same play. So it's what attracted me to that aspect of the game was number one, that you get to work with the entire team because everybody with maybe the exception of the quarterback is going to have some role on special teams. And so you get to you get to interact with the entire team and you're both based basically coaching offense and defense inside the game. So especially in the Canadian Football League, where 
the game is much more similar to rugby than U.S. football, mm-hmm. and it is it is kept a lot of its rugby, rugby roots that the the role of the special teams in Canadian football is way more important than it is in American football, where now they've got fair catch rules and, you know, touchback rules and all of yeah. those things. We don't have those. When oh, someone I didn't punts, the ball, that one. punts the ball to us, catch it. The games are really different. So, for example, if you're in a, if you're in a, a if you're a European fan or UK fan, and you've never seen a Canadian football game, when you watch it, you will understand it much faster than you'll understand an American football game, because the game is so much more akin to soccer and rugby. Hmm. On that, that, that brings me on to a question. Then is that something which attracted you to when you worked in NFL Europe then as well at Ryan fire and Amsterdam. Yeah. I can't remember. Who, yeah. Yeah. The Amsterdam admirals. Yeah. Yeah. I'll Admiral, tell you Thomas, it, the yeah. thing too, that, that special teams is, yeah. Special teams is so important to the game, but interestingly enough, there aren't a lot of coaches that want to do it because it's kind of a thankless job really because the offensive and defensive teams get most of the adulation and, you know, attention and all of that. And the special teams are kind of in, in most situations, they're kind of like, okay, whatever. Right. But when you really know the game and you really start to understand the game, you find out that the teams that are really good on special teams usually are teams that are really good football teams. So for example, the Patriots for years have been one of the best, special teams units in the national football league mm. because the Belichick understands how important field it's, it's really, I don't, I hate to make this comparison, uh, but I, I'll tell you a little history and it's really kind of fascinating. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. When the Japanese, when the Japanese were thinking about attacking the United States at Pearl Harbor, one of the Japanese admirals who had been educated in the United States and had gone to, I think it was Harvard, and had seen college football, and he became a fan of football. And he, he, one of the reasons why he warned against attacking the United States was he said that because of football, the, the, the kids there that grow up, they're, they're used to taking orders. They're used to understanding field position. They're used to you know, sacrifice all the things that are endemic in wartime are exactly the same in football. And so when, when the the admirals got together to talk about, they're going to actually attack Pearl Harbor or not. He is one who said that they shouldn't. And actually when they did, his quote was, I fear we have awoken a sleeping giant and special teams is that land acquisition, land acquisition aspect of our game. Yeah, the uh, the gaining territory kind of as it is in rugby. Exactly. So, for example, if you're in soccer, has such flow to it, it goes back and forth, right? Yeah. So, and there's no definitive special teams unit in our game. You know, we're the one that, like, we would say that we want every possession for our team to start on their half of the field. Yeah. Right. And if you start on their half of the field, you get more shots on goal or you score more touchdowns. If we have to keep starting back against our goal line, then obviously our success ratio is not going to be very high. And so you need more downs to get really a field. very exact. That's exactly it. It's really a strategic game. Mm. 
So you mentioned Spellacek as a coach understood the importance of special teams. What's the difference between the coordinator and the coach? Okay, so underneath the coordinator, for example, I have a I have an assistant that, wor- that works with me, and then I'm responsible for what how you know how you give out responsibility inside of the game plan, inside of practice planning, inside of how we what what drills we do, how we implement those drills, who's responsible for it, they're going to be on the field, uh, what equipment we need, everything that goes into creating a, a practice. And then on game day, it's to call the, the plays for the special teams and make sure that substitutions are correct and any injuries that all of that stuff, it's really an encompassing role. I think, I think what's, what would, surprise people just when you start talking about football and you're talking about in in the nfl 53 man roster Mm. there's a lot of moving parts on game day and it goes very fast and it's even fast it's even faster in our league because in the nfl you have 40 seconds between plays in our league we have 20 so from the time they spot the ball to the next down there's only 20 seconds before you have to move the football and so you can't have substitution errors and you know not enough guys on the field and you know too many uh, all of those things so it's a very intense game i know that much exactly (laughs) and it's a very 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 high it's a very very high pressure environment because there's no margin for error right you 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 can't say oh i'm sorry or my bad you know (laughs) you got to make sure it's done right and so that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of the fun of it though the game, it's funny, Thomas, the game lasts right just about a game in our league lasts a little bit under three hours. In the NFL, it's about three hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. But that three hours goes so fast when you're coaching because you're constantly you're in this play, but your mind is on two plays ahead of that. Yeah, that's uh, kind of like snooker player in that sense or a pool player. You're never thinking about the shot that you're taking, mm-hmm. you're thinking about wait, wait, what shot are you taking in four shots time? That's exactly correct. That's a great analogy. I didn't know, I didn't know that about snooker, but again, that's a great, great analogy. That's exactly, let's say it's second down and our offense is out there. And if they don't get it, we have to punt on third down. Okay. So now I, you have to already have a plan for where you're at on the field, what the wind conditions are, what you want the punter to do. And then Okay, so now you transition, you punt it. And then once they have the ball, you start thinking about, okay, how do we defend it if they have to punt it again? So it's constant. Your brain is really engaged and the game is like the game environment is so much fun. Like if you ever if you ever came to Hamilton, I would get you on the sideline and let you see what it's like on the, you know, just the oh, it's, it's organized chaos. It, it's really that, that organized. Sounds, that chaos. sounds like my heaven. Organized chaos <laughs> is my heaven. But I guess you you spoke about the decisions there of what you want your punter to do. So I'm guessing those decisions are, is he going to kick it out of bounds or are you going to try and let them kind of return it from the one yard line? Those sort of decisions, I'm guessing. Absolutely. And every field zone has a different set of criteria that you use. So for example, if, if you're backed up against your goal line and you have to punt, you're thinking about how can I run as much field as I can? So you're probably going to let him punt away, which is riskier, but if you do it well, you gain more field position. When you're at center field, you're at midfield, or you're just past midfield, 
Now you want to punt it down in the corner and pin them inside the five yard line to give them the longest field. Cause our rules really make the kicking game. Like, like I'm talking about the kickers and the punters. Like for example, in the NFL, if you punt it out of bounds, the ball is placed where it goes out of bounds in the Canadian football league. If you punt it out of bounds outside of the 25 yard line, then it's a 15 yard penalty from where it went out of bounds. So if we hit it out of bounds at the 26, it's a penalty and the other team will start their, they'll scrimmage from about the 45 yard line. So that's a huge mistake, which in the NFL, they don't ever worry about. We have to, yeah. those are all considered. Plus think about this one end zone. Thomas is 20 yards deep. If we, if, if, if another team tries a field goal and they miss it, and we, we can't get it out of our own end zone, then they get a point. It's called a rouge, right? So, like, late in the game, my, I, I remember my first year in the CFL. Late in the game, we go out to kick a field goal with no left on the clock. And it's like a 25-yard field goal. It's an easy field goal. Yeah. And we had a veteran kicker who had been, been through it a lot of years. And he came over to me and he goes, I'm going to sit on purpose. And I said, what? He goes, I'm going to miss it on purpose so that so that because if you hit the upright and it comes out, once it hits the upright, it's a dead ball in our league. Right. Yeah. So if you hit the upright, you don't get the point. You lose the game. Right. So what he did was he kicked the ball actually through the end zone at an angle so that it went out of the back of the end zone and wasn't wasn't in anywhere going to get hit by the post. Yeah. And we got the single point one by one point. And I was like, what the hell league am I? In? <laughs> right? But that's that's the that's the kind of really, really intricate, fun stuff that goes on in our game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really interesting that the Canadian league has different rules to the NFL. I imagine that they'd mirror each other. They, they're they're closer than they than they've ever been. But as the NFL, see, the NFL keeps messing around with the with the kicking game they keep taking they keep taking the value of the kicking game out of the game and they argue that it's because of player safety but if they really want to make the game safer they'd make the field longer and the field wider right mm. and which is our field is 120 yards long and it's 13 and a half yards wider than an nfl field so there's more room for guys to escape those those collisions where you get a lot of people banging into each other. Yeah. It's always quite congested in the NFL. All right. So it, it's, it's very, here's, I think this is the best. Somebody told me this one time and I didn't really understand it because I didn't know rugby and I still don't know it very much, but I love watching it. They say, they tell me that the difference between the NFL and the CFL is the difference between rugby and sevens, right? Because yeah. in sevens, it's such a fast game and a wide open game. That's the CFL. I'd go one, I'd go one different. And I'd say because in the north of England um, and the rugby I play is rugby league. So with rugby league and rugby union, they're essentially the same sport. But rugby union has 15 players. Rugby league has 13. Rugby union has continuous plays and phases. Rugby league is a bit more like American football in the sense of you have six tackles and then you have to kick or you have to score in those six tackles. So I think it's quite similar to that in that. Okay. Sense. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's a great analogy. And that's so, so again, there's, 
you know, like I say, there's so much more strategy in our game because see, there's less one less down. For example, in the NFL, you have four downs to get a first down. In the CFL, you have three. And the other thing is the just the couple of the differences differences the defensive players have to line a yard off the ball they can't be right up on the ball mm. right so again that's a huge advantage to the offense yeah so all right so it's it, and and in in the nfl only one guy can be in motion at a time and he can never go to, towards the line of scrimmage in the cfl everybody except five offensive linemen can be in motion on before a play starts and they can be running at the line of scrimmage. So you can imagine if you had a guy like oh, Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And you put him 15 yards deep, and then he, you let him time up, and he's running at the line of scrimmage to start the play. He's full speed when the play starts. I mean, whoo. And then you give him a bigger he, he's field gone. to he's move gone. around in. He's That's absolutely those, gone, yeah. We have a lot. Yeah we have a lot of more of those kind of guys in our league. We don't have those great big receivers like they do in the NFL typically because there's no advantage to them in our game. You want guys that can attack and, and it's a much more like you'll see a lot more big plays, right? Long touchdown passes, long touchdown runs, returns for touchdown. Like in the seven years, eight years I've been at Hamilton, we've had eight different guys score punt return touchdowns in seven years and i think we've scored like 25 touchdowns the only I mean, one i remember like in, nobody in the I've nfl seen, yeah i think the only one i remember seeing was at the seahawks super bowl final a few years ago when there was one yeah that's that's the only one yep. i think i've ever seen and that, yeah and see that's what's happened in the nfl they've neutralized the return game so you know a lot of teams now they don't even they don't even have a returner that that's his specialty. They just have a guy that can catch it and make sure that they can transition the ball back. But if you watch the playoffs, when the saints played the bucks until that, until their punt returner got hurt, the saints were on the way to an upset because they returned one for about 60 yards. And then they returned another one for a touchdown. They got called back and they were really beating the bucks at the, at the third phase of the game, special teams, but then their returner got hurt and it just, then it was an, uh, then it was a fair fight. Yeah, that's uh, it's definitely interesting. The differences there. The other part of uh, football that's different to the way that sports are kind of done over in the UK is the draft. And there's 56 days until the NFL draft. So I wanted to kind of touch on that, and I was wondering kind of yeah. how much how much work goes into it by recruiters to make a certain pick or to have that round picker, are they kind of thinking, oh, look, we, we're going to need a QB in six years' time. So what high schools have got a good QB that's coming through, that's going to come through college and we need to get a first-round pick in six years? Is that kind of how far in advance they think or is it all uh, this year, next year? Well, it's really interesting because it's it's gone farther and farther back as we go as we go forward it's gone backwards if i can say it that way it used to be that you didn't really start to gather information on a player until his junior year in college and then players started opting out of their senior year they can fit they can come out rule is they can come out after their third year in school yeah. which is typically your junior year for some kids who redshirt it's their sophomore year 
So now what's happened is the, there's, this is really a fascinating question, right? So there's a, there's a group of scouts that gather information. They're called Blesto Scouts. And Blesto Scouts share their information with everybody in the league, okay? So what you do as, a, as an organization, you subscribe to this service. And these guys go out and they, they do all these checks on all these young kids, the freshmen and sophomores in college, right? And then they report back with the information. And it's usually height, weight, speed, just general parameters, right? Yeah. And so they sell that, they sell that information to all the clubs. Then all the clubs have their own scouting systems. So they will have a director of U.S. Scout, or college scouting, and they'll have a pro personnel director who's the head of pro scouting. Because you scout the other teams in the league, too, for free, when you're thinking about free agency. So one part of their if you use the term recruiting team is pro guys. And the other one is the college guys. Yeah. And then what they do typically the way it works is you'll have a, in your, in your college scouting department, you'll have a head of scouting and then each geographic area of the United States and Canada. And now the, now internationally, a guy will be in charge of it. So you may be the East Coast scout and you have everything from the state of Maine to Pennsylvania down to Virginia. And then you have a Southeast scout and he has all of the South a Midwest scout, a Western scout and a Southwest scout. So you usually have five direct regional directors. Then inside of those guys will typically be one or two guys that go to every school in that area. And then they, they are the ones that cross-reference what the Blesto Scouts do. And then they are the first ones that actually have contact with the player. If the player's for the draft or is draft eligible, then after their season, the Pro Scouts can come in and work them out. They can height, weight them, give them the Wonderlick test, vertical yeah. jump, all the physical tests, and then coaches can come so the, then coaches can come to the campus and then they can work the player out however they choose to do it. Now, what's really interesting is since COVID, all of that's been put aside. So now everything is done virtually. The scouts aren't on the road anymore. They're, get, you know, they're looking at tape, and, but there's no hands-on with the players. So it's making the draft even more difficult because you don't get that face-to-face -face contact with the athlete. And so what'll, what'll happen is there's, they'll start with roughly a thousand players and whittle it down to first, with, first time it gets whittled down is to 500. Yeah. Those 500 go to the NFL combine in Indianapolis. And then every team has access to them at the combine. And then from the combine, they'll come out of that with a list of probably 150, what they call draft eligibles guys that they may they're thinking about drafting or sign, trying to sign as street free agents and then they'll do additional work on those guys then they'll go through the process that we're involved in right now and if the fans want to know about it they should listen to uh, we have a thing called coffee with the coach we're stacking our draft board right now so we look for backs we looked at offensive linemen we're going to go to tight ends next week and we're doing it just like a scouting department would so that the fans can kind of get a feel for what it, what it means. Then when we go to the draft, when we get about 10 days out of the draft, we'll stack our board like they do. And so what you'll do 
is let's say you're what's your favorite team? Uh, the Chiefs. Okay, so you're the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs will have a board. Will have they'll have they'll have like one to one fifty best players, right? In their eyes, in their mind. Yeah. Then they'll also have it divided by positions. So, for example, they have their best probably top ten offensive tackles, top five quarterbacks, five tight ends, da da da. And so what they'll do is in the draft, they'll have to make a decision. Do you take the best player available? So you, let's say you're in the third round and on your board, the sixth best player on your board is still available, but you have a need tight end or let's say Sherman retired. So you're looking for a fullback, right? Yeah. Well, you have to make a decision. Do we take the sixth, sixth best player or do we take a guy at a position of need? Right. Then that's the that's the real interesting thing that goes on draft day. Yeah, that that's obviously so different to how it's done over here because it's all just coming through the academy and then being transferred or signing and going and playing for the team that you, you've played with since you were twelve, sort of thing. But you touched on something there which I was interested in of what is the combine exactly? Okay, the combine is really, to be honest with you. The combine is really turned into something that it was not designed to be. It was originally designed to be a way for teams to streamline and economically look at the top 500 prospects in, in the league. And they bring them in by position. So, for example, say the offensive tackles or offensive linemen go in, they'll be in for three days. And the first day they come in, it's all medical stuff. Right. It's you. You can bring your team doctor will come to the, and all the team doctors come and they have access to that player and his medical records, his history, x-rays, surgical reports, anything that kid has, he has to bring with him. And then your doctor gives him a medical grade. Then the next day you'll have an opportunity to give him intelligence test. And then you have an opportunity to interview. I think it's a, like I think it's like 50 of them. You can't interview them all, but I think you're given like 50 guys to interview. Then the then again, then they have their day where they actually go out on the field and perform testing, right? Yeah. And then they also perform in the weight room. So you got an intelligence test, a strength test, and then their field work. And then they go home. And then the next group comes in. So for example, it's it goes, it's really amazing. It's like the first group's in, then that when the first group goes to day two, the next group's in day one. And it they bang them all out in a week. And it's fascinating because you sit in the stadium because it's done at Lucas Lucas Oil Field in Indianapolis, right? Yeah. And you're sitting in the stadium and it's just, you're not allowed, it's, fans aren't allowed. It's just personnel guys and coaches. And so you'll be watching the 40-yard dash, which is right underneath you, right? Right in front of the main grandstand. And you'll have a thousand coaches and personnel guys, 2,000 probably. And a guy will run a 40-yard dash and you'll hear the, all the watches go, Beep. and then when he finishes, you hear them all go, Beep. So it's like, it's like crazy, but that's, and it's, it's like they get poked, they get prodded, they get looked at, they get, that's what it originally began to be. Then the NFL figured out and the NFL is always about promotion and money, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then they thought, well, if we let the, if we, if we give the fans a peek behind the curtain, it'll be fascinating to them. And then all of a sudden, all these mock drafts came and Mel Kiper became famous and, you know, which was never the pot, which is never what the NFL originally designed it to be. But they thought 
hey, what does this do for our offseason? It keeps people talking about the game. It keeps people talking about their teams. And then they had NFL Network, and it became a made-for-TV event. So it's a week-long TV extravaganza for NFL Network. And fans love it. You know, it's the most popular thing to the season is, is the draft. Yeah, I know that my friends who I'm in the NFL Fantasy League with, they absolutely love it as well. Um, and it's something which I've never taken the interest into because I didn't know what it was. But maybe I have to and then I might not finish bottom of the league. <laughs> I guess the uh, I guess the next, the next thing I wanted to touch on from having a look up on some of the things and places that you've worked is... And you mentioned it slightly with the scouts about having international scouts now for recruitment. Apparently, you previously worked as the director of international player development mm -hmm. for the NFL. So what, what did that entail? Well, my job was to help my boss, Tony Allen, who ran the entire program, to put together a list every year of guys that we thought had the ability to play in the National Football League. The NFL wants to globalize its game, right? And... That originally was Mr. Tagliabue's reason why NFL Europe came to be. He wanted to introduce the game to Europe. He wanted yeah. to take the game overseas. And then what they saw was, and again, this is why I think it's really important fans understand this. The number one mission of the National Football League is to make money for those 32 owners, right? And that's how the commissioner keeps his job and keeps making, I think he makes like 9 million bucks a year or something crazy, right? So they thought, well, if you look at it, look how passionate, and this is one of the reasons why the UK got games. Yeah. They did a study. I saw the study that they did. And in all the world, the United Kingdom spends, I think it's in the top two or three per capita on sports fandom. For example, going to soccer matches, wearing soccer jerseys, buying, you know, paraphernalia, all that stuff. So the NFL said, we need to tap into that marketplace. And it's the, the language is the same, relatively the same. And there's all those television sets and all those hats that should heads that should have hats on them and backs that should have T-shirts on them. And, and they said, we need to go there. Then they realized because of what's happened in baseball and basketball, that now you watch a Major League Baseball game and you've got players playing from all over the world. You watch an NBA basketball game, some of the top stars in the NBA are foreign players. Yeah. And what that does is it drives it drives the market back in those marketplaces. So when like a guy like Paul Gasol, who's a Spanish guy, or I can't remember the French guard that played at San Antonio and they won a national they won an NBA championship, right? And yeah, they got a French, a guard from France, a, a small forward from Argentina, right? And they got a center from the Bahamas. They had three foreigners out of five. And the, and the NFL said, we need that, right? Yeah. And so that's how our program got developed. And then we were to go out and find, find guys who we thought could one day play in the NFL. At one point in that program, we had 32 guys on practice rosters in the NFL. It's a good number for definitely trying to grow it. But as you said, like, maybe if you could get a squad of, like, 53, it would uh... – have carried on with that program possibly well well i i think that's the future with what's going on in london now with the academy that the nfl has started right the nfl because of the rules in college football can't have an academy inside the united states 
So what they've done is they've created one in London for all of the, it's, it, ultimately it's for any non-US player could go there and go to high school, start to train. The problem, one of the problems, Thomas, that we ran into is we couldn't access the player fast enough to get him up to speed to play at that highest level, right? So if you got a kid when he was 20, all right, I'll tell you about a study I did. I did a study and I said Absolutely. it would take, like that time Germany had the best amateur league. Yeah. Right. So Germany had the best amateur league. So I did a study. And in order for a German kid to get as many practice opportunities as a U.S. player, if you took the German kid at 16 and the U.S. player at 16 in the domestic game in Germany, it would take that player almost 25 years to get the number of practice opportunities that a U.S. player would have in five years of college football. So that's five times the amount so, of work, really, or five times behind. Yeah, and so we couldn't, if you got them at 20, there was no way they could make up the ground. Yeah. So what we kept pushing for was we need to get them younger. We need to get them younger because at that time, there was no weight room culture in Europe at all. I mean, there were a few guys that lifted weights, but they were really unusual. And in the UK at that time, you couldn't even become a member of a gym unless you were 18 years old. So there was no school programs for the kids like there is in the United States. And, you know, the Baffert League, I mean, the kids couldn't go to the gym. They practiced twice a week, played one. I mean, just it wasn't that they weren't good enough or weren't good enough athletes. It's just you couldn't they couldn't match the amount of training that they needed to have. Yeah. And so that's why we tried to get them. Like, for example, success stories, a kid named Sebastian Vollmer was a German kid that we got into college in the United States. And then he got drafted in the third round and, you know, won three Super Bowl rings with the Patriots. So there were guys out there. But had we not got Sebastian to the United States, he would have never developed fast enough. He wouldn't have gotten strong enough, wouldn't have gotten big enough, wouldn't have played against enough high-level competition, all of that stuff. Yeah, I can imagine that's difficult. And especially, like you said, I never really thought about it with having to get the Europeans or non-US into the high school system to get those amount of practices. So that that's really, really interesting as to how the struggles are to grow the game, to get players into the game at the same time. Yeah, you got to get them into the game. You got to access them sooner and you got to give them opportunities to grow. It's it's the same in any sport, right? If, like say, for example, you're a young rugby player, right? Yep. And you love rugby and you have the physical measurements. Let's say you have the phys physical measurements and the age, right? You, and you're living in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. You could find local rugby team probably, right? But, you, you know, you wouldn't wouldn't play very many games you wouldn't practice and you wouldn't play against good players you will never develop unless you play against the top level competition that's how competition you know makes players better yeah. right and so you could stay and be the, you could stay and be the best player in chicago but you're not going to ever win a world cup that way right so you need to go somewhere where there's high level competition and that's one of the things that we're trying to create with the academy yeah, so you mentioned NFL Europe there. I found that this year there's a European League of Football mm -hmm. that's starting as well. Are you kind of looking forward to mm -hmm. what you've been monitoring that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a number of the guys that are involved in that are guys that were part, they were, they were what we call national coaches. They were endemic uh, coaches from their countries that coached in NFL Europe you know, and now have 
continue to stay involved in the game, coaching in their leagues, and they're trying to elevate and start a league, basically a uh, kind of a knockoff of NFL Europe, which I think the more the guys are playing, the more coaches are coaching, the better the game's going to be. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of all that stuff. Yeah, when I saw it and I saw that there wasn't a team from the UK there, I was a bit like, oh, that, that's annoying. But I guess with time and if NFL has a presence with the academy, maybe it's not they're not quite needed to be there yet and they might end up blowing the competition out of the water sort of thing. Yeah, I think, I think the more opportunities there are for players, the better it is, right? And, you know, the Canadian Football League now has a global program. We're going to have English players for the first time this year, right? And so it's a perfect segue, right? So for example, if a kid comes out of the academy at 20 years old and he's not, he doesn't want to go to college, he can come to the CFL, be on a practice roster in the CFL or play on in our league for three or four years, come out at 23 or four and go to the NFL. And he will have played against a higher competition that he'd ever even play against if he played U.S. college football. So I think there's a role for every league and every opportunity for a kid to play. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I, I wish it was possible that we could watch the CFL, mainly due to the amount of enthusiasm you have for it. I don't know where the CFL is over in the UK, but I'm going to have to try and find it, it to be possible to watch it. Maybe you can talk to Sky Sports well, and they can get it on. You know what? You can not You can get it, or you have been able to get it, on because we lost our season last year to COVID. But if you go to BT Sport, they have CFL games on BT Sport because it's broadcast on ESPN. Okay. The more you know. But yeah, that just about covers everything regarding football. You've already mentioned it just before we uh, we started. The T-shirt behind me, you're a Leeds United fan. I'm a Leeds United fan. I have to ask, where did your affection for the club come from? All right, here's the story. I was in Europe for the first time, uh, or in, in England for the first time, about 93 or 4. And I turned on the television. You know how you, and when you fly into some place, the first thing yeah. you do is throw your bags down. You know, it's, it, then you just flip on the TV just to, you know, for noise or for nothing else. And I flipped on the TV and it, there was a soccer game on TV, right? And there actually wasn't a game. It was just a, a highlight thing kind of like, right? Yeah. And this one team, I'm, watch, I'm watching it and I don't know anything about soccer. I mean, nothing at that time, like absolutely nothing. Uh, yeah, nothing. I just knew that if the ball got in, your, in, the, in the opponent's net, it's good. If it got in your net, it ain't good. So anyway, so I'm sitting on the edge of the bed and I'm watching this team and they have the most beautiful white uniforms, like really classic, all white, long sleeves. You know, I mean, it just they, they sweet looking uniforms. Yeah. And I'm watching them and I think they're kind of cool. And then all of a sudden this guy comes and knocks another guy down. Right. And like soccer is different than football, right? So the guy, the guy's down on the ground and he's rolling around like he's going to die. And another guy from the team in the white kind of runs, runs by him again and kind of boom, knees him in the back of the head. But, but the announcer goes, oh, that's dirty leads. And when I, when I heard him called dirty leads, I said, that's my team. They got the greatest <laughs> uniforms and they play the game like the Raiders do. So I said, that's my team. And they've, I've been a Leeds fan ever since. Yeah, I, uh, I think I know exactly which one you're, uh, which video you're on about. And I'll, I'll send it you after we've finished on here and 
maybe you can give it a share and just be like this is this was the one yeah you do it I'll, I'll put it on twitter yeah let me see if i can i can find it oh no the one which i'm looking at is uh when we're in we're in yellow but it, it's very similar to the one that you're saying yeah that that wraps up that section they've i've basically got three very very nonsense nothing to do with sport questions now and then that's that'll be just about a wrap what's your go-to cheat meal jeff that's what everyone wants to know, really. My go-to cheat meal. Um, wow. I would say it's what we call here in Hawaii a mixed plate. And what, what you get on a mixed plate is you get a big scoop of white rice. You get a big scoop of macaroni salad or two scoops, depending if you really want to cheat. <laughs> and then you get something like, for example, for me, it's chicken katsu. You get uh, short ribs and that probably, that's probably about five thousand calories in one meal it sounds exactly like the perfect it's the best sort of cheap mixed plate yeah yeah that sounds that sounds fantastic so then what's your go-to pizza topping mushrooms i'm a big mushroom guy man i'm telling you mushrooms uh like i'll have money i'd eat hay if it had mushrooms on it <laughs> so i don't know if you even know what this is because this i feel like it's a british delicacy marmite Love it or hate it? Love it. Love it. Love it. Like, I I know Marmite, I love it. And you know how I love it the best? Is to take a crumpet, what you guys call crumpet, we call English muffin, right? Yeah. Toast it, Marmite, and then really sharp cheddar cheese on top of it. That, like, is, man, that is killer. That is uh, absolutely killer to me. Seem, seems to be an ongoing pattern of the... Uh, marmite with cheese at least yeah th yep. thanks for that and um so yeah jeff i want to say thank you for taking your time out of your friday morning it's been great to learn about what coordinators and coach do what special teams especially do and about your time with the nfl and the cfl and I look forward to watching some and look forward to seeing you doing some punditry as well once uh once the new nfl season starts on sky sports again Awesome. Join us to, and, you know, join both you and the, and your listeners. Join us on Coffee with Coach every Tuesday at eight because we, you know, we have players, coaches, all kinds of people on. And it's kind of a it's a real lighthearted, have fun kind of, you know, opportunity to talk ball. And we, we encourage people to join in and ask questions and send questions in and all of that because we're all trying to grow the game. And I appreciate what you're doing, Thomas. I keep doing a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had to listen to a few episodes and I recommend it to everyone who is listening, especially in the morning, actually. You you obviously do it. It's 8 p.m. in the UK time, but if you wait until Wednesday morning, it goes perfectly. Listen, I appreciate it. And, you know, hit me with this and I'll, I'll get it out on Twitter. Care yeah, yeah, absolutely. Aloha. Aloha. Wow. Uh, somehow of that first Obviously, I want to thank Jeff for taking the time out of his morning. Yeah, really appreciate that. I found it really good to learn about the special teams element of American football and what drew Jeff to becoming a coach or coordinator in, in that part of the game. You know, his, his love of the attack and defence and how it mingles both elements. Yeah, really enjoyed hearing about what exactly the coordinator's role is. And then even more so away, away from the coordinator and coach roles, but actually the differences between the NFL and the CFL, which I found really intriguing. 
didn't realise that that was a thing. And then, of course, finally, I found out for myself what the draft combine is, something I've always wondered. And Jeff gave us an insight into how much due diligence a scouting team will go through to find players in that draft. And then, obviously, finally, we touched on the European football scene, which looks to be taking a big step this year again with the European League of Football hopefully taking place across Germany, Poland and Spain, which, as Jeff said, it's all about growing this game, which is huge in the North Americas and has a huge fan base worldwide, but participation opportunities here, they're very scarce. But yeah, on that, this has been the Backroom Staff Podcast and thank you again for listening and see you next time. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your chosen podcast player or you can keep up to date with the latest podcast releases by following the Backroom Staff Podcast on Twitter and Instagram using the following handle, BKRM Staff.